There was nothing else at all in the whole world but football. How you doing? It's Simon here from the Triple F. Hope you're all well. Uh, this is the Triple F show, and this is a chat that I had with Mike a couple of weeks back. Um, at the time, he was quite indifferent about how St. Pauli were getting on, as they had just come off the back of a loss to Hanover. But seeing as they just won this weekend away to Karlsruhe by three goals to one, I'm sure his mood would have been a hell of a lot higher than it was when I recorded the conversation. So, yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to release the um, the Triple F show conversation that I had with Mike earlier. But, yeah, it's just the way it is. Unfortunately, life got in the way and I've had to wait a bit longer. But it's too good of a conversation that we both had to to not release it. So I had to release it and I hope you guys all enjoy it. Um, we had the customary St. Pauli chat and it was really good to see how they were getting on at the time. Uh, and yeah, it was a it was a nice chat that we had about St. Pauli. And considering I'm a British man that moved abroad, we also had a really interesting conversation that I've wanted to have for a real long time about British players abroad. Uh, we talk about the players that are currently plying their trade overseas. And we also cover the greats of British football that had done so back in the day. Anyway, it was a really good and interesting discussion that Mike and I both had, and I really hope all of you guys enjoy it. Thanks again for listening to the Triple F, and take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, so no better place to start with you than uh, St. Pauli, mate. How's how's things as a St. Pauli fan at the moment? Um, was good. Could be better. Um, unfortunately, we had a bit of a, a frustrating result at the weekend. Um, Losing one 0 to to Hanover was was a bit painful to be honest with you. I, I blame the international break. Um, I hate the fact that they put an international break like three or four games into the season. I always find that really disrupts everything. Mm. But you know, fair play to Hanover. Um, they've done some some good work right at the end of the transfer window to try and turn their early poor start around. Um, and yeah, we just weren't in the running for it, which is a real shame because we've had a really good start to the season, um, a lot better than than I probably would have expected. And to see where we're sat at the moment is um, it's still quite nice, um, but you know, it could be better if we hadn't have lost at the weekend. But other than that, yeah, I'm still a happy boy with how things are going at the moment. That's cool, man. Was it a home loss? No, no, it was away. Um, so, you know, you kind of, the way I always look at a good season, or a reasonably good season as well, is that if you can win all your home games and draw all your away ones, then, you know, it, it ends up with a fair, decent amount of points. But there's always going to be a slip up against some teams and some away wins and some home losses. But, yeah, it's still, still a bit of a shame. I'd like to have taken a point at the weekend, but... Yeah, it's what it is. I'm still smiling, mate, and that's what matters. That's cool, man. It might be a bit early to say, but who would you kind of guess as the big dogs of the Swai Bundesliga? Who do you think are going to be the, the the ones that are going to push for promotion the most? Well, I think if you'd have asked me like a week or two ago, uh, well, if you'd have asked me at the start of the season and then asked me again like a couple of weeks ago, 
I would have given you different answers with the way that the, the pace has been set by some of the guys that are currently at the top of the league. Um, it was quite, quite surprising. But I still think come the end of the season, you're going to end up with the real big dogs at the top. But you're going to end up with your, your, your Schalkers, your Birders. They're going to be up there and thereabouts. Um, you know, considering um, Regensburg had such a bad season last season, um, to now be currently sat top, four wins out of six, you know, it's, it just shows how how good the quality of football is in the league and a few changes. And, yeah, they've gone from scrapping around the relegation zone to, after six games, sitting at the top of the table. So I think it's going to be one of those seasons where anything can really happen. Um, and obviously we talked uh, a few pods ago about, you know, Wilson Powley be up there and, and push him for a place. And I said, no, I'd be happy with mid-table. You know, three and uh, three wins and a draw at six already. It's not unlikely. Um, so I think, yeah, we'll be we'll be up there as well with the other big dogs. Um, Verder has started to find their their footings after a bit of a a rockier start, but you know they've now picked up three wins and two draws at six. So yeah, I think they're going to be real title contenders this time, and I think HSV. Um, uh, are in for another another bad season. <laughs> They're the spurs of the uh, the Swai Bundesliga, <laughs> as you like to put it. <laughs> yeah. Schalke, what's your thoughts on Schalke? Do you think they will sort of get themselves out of the rot that they were in in the um, in the Bundesliga, and they'll sort of transform that um, that kind of you know what we consider Schalke to be a, a great sort of big team. Do you think they'll be able to sort of turn that around and get themselves back to where they see themselves? Yeah, I think they're going to bounce back. I'll be honest with you. I mean, you know, I think they're going to spend a little time of a sort of, not necessarily a little time adjusting because they're, they're not doing that badly and the league is quite tight at the moment. But yeah, I can see them. I can see Werder Bremen walk in the league um, and I can see Schalke going up in, in promotion as well. I, I genuinely can. Um, I think it's nice to see Regensburg and, and Paderborn and, and teams like that that are sitting near the top at the moment. But yeah, St. Pauli as well, but I don't think it'll, it'll maintain. I, I can see us finishing sort of you know, fifth, sixth now. My optimism is is slightly more renewed than it was before the start of the season. Um, but I think, yeah, they're going to be the two that will come come Christmas. I think they're going to be up there and and really pushing for, for that automatic promotion spots. Mm. I suppose he's a bit of a sort of unsung hero when it comes to the Triple F because we've mentioned him quite a few times. But Eric Smith being missing um, for your last game. You think that that had a bit of an impact and a, perhaps a reason why you lost that match? It could have been a factor, um, knocking a bit of sort of rhythm out of the team. But at the end of the day, you know, the, before the before the previous game, he was actually injured in the warm up, and Aramu came in, and we still won that game. And I think, you know, he will be a miss for us, but I think we've got a solid second in that position. Um, who's someone who's come on leaps and bounds 
across the, uh, the last 12 months. Um, so I don't think he'll be as missed as what he probably we probably would think, but he is still still a great player. You take any great player out of a team, it's it, they're going to be missed, and he is by all intents purposes a great player. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's somebody that you know. Like I said, we've talked about him quite a few times before, and in my opinion, he's somebody that you know. As soon as he was sort of brought into the team. Um, he's sort of, you know, he's given St. Pauli a, a different dimension. He gives them a bit more of a professional kind of um, feel about the team. And I think, you know, he's somebody that uh, I can see for, you know, the sort of rest of the season, uh, Timo Schultz looking at Eric Smith as somebody that he's going to rely on quite heavily. But, you know, we'll see. But yeah, like you say, you've got the likes of Aramu and Benatelli that can kind of fill that role quite well. So the, the squad depth is good at San Pauli, so it's always good to see. Yeah, something that we haven't really sort of thought about in the last, well, prior to last season with the squad depth and stuff, it looked quite quite small. But when you're looking at that kind of linchpin midfielder, we've now got three players who, who are, are good, great and awesome. You know, in that kind of respect, with with Smith being he'd be the number one choice in that position as as part of the the regular spine. But Aramu can come in and and Benatelli as well can can really shake things up. Slightly different player. He's more of a deep lying playmaker kind of thing. Um, but he's still a great player to to put in there as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you look at the core. That that centre of St. Pauli, along with the new goalkeeper, who you know he's he's been a good signing, and um, you've got uh, ZRS as, as your centre back, Smith in the midfield, and then you know Bergstaller and Kyer at top. You know they kind of you look at the team sheet and it's like yeah, their their inclusion is almost a guarantee if they're fit and well. Um, and the other new central defender, whose name I've now forgotten as well, he's come in and formed a fantastic partnership with with Zeris. I know he's now injured, but they managed to keep Lawrence out of the team and someone who I rate really highly as well. So, you know, we've got a good a good solid centre there, and bar an injury crisis, I think yeah, I think we'll be all right. Mm. I mean, sort of speaking of signings as well, perhaps the player that's almost like a new signing, but it hasn't really a new signing. And we've talked about him before as well, but Simon Mackinock, um, just it seems as if Timo Schultz is kind of resting his hat a lot on on Mackinock and that Bergstaller sort of front partnership now, which is nice to see. Because I think last year it was more of a front three that he sort of favoured, wasn't it? With sort of Zalazar, um, Marmouche and Bergstaller. But he seems to really be relying heavily on the front two with um, Bergstaller and Mackinock. How do you think that's going at the moment? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a tough one, really. But I think Mackinock is a good holding player to to support Bergstaller. Um, mm. I, genuinely, I mean, if you look at Bergstaller as a general rule, and obviously, you know, his age and stuff, you kind of don't expect him to be as, as fit. And he's quite a quite a pacey guy for, for such a big lad. Um, you know, he's quite happy to run out to the wings and stuff as well, um, leaving McCainock to just play through the centre. Or if they decide to play it long, he's a great player for Bergstahl to feed up. And obviously, Kaira as well, who's kind of 
they've kind of got the two up front and then they've got Kaya just playing this almost free role across across the back. He seems to pop up everywhere. Um, and I think that kind of really helps giving him that freedom. I mean, he was a fantastic player and was heavily tipped to sort of leave St. Pauli in, in, um, in this summer. I think Mainz were interested in Kaya at one point to take him to the Bundesliga. But, you know, he stayed, he wanted to stay as well, which is always nice to know. But, um, you know, giving them that extra freedom has really given him a, a a new a new lease of life. I think he was slightly overshadowed by my roof last season, but you know, it's his stats are absolutely incredible and really surprising. Once I, I think I looked on transfer market the the website and looking at his stats for the and goals and assists, I think he was involved in about sixty percent of St. Pauli's goals in total with assists and scoring since he joined at the start of last season. So giving him that extra freedom with those two, I'll say big lads up top. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. It's a really dangerous front three and McKaynock is, is kind of sliding in nicely in my opinion. Nice. Yeah, it's always good to see that sort of traditional big man, small man partnership sort of throwbacks to the throwback to the days of sort of Michael Owen and Emil Heskey. So it's always nice to see that, especially because you don't see it as much um, as you used to these days. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. It's definitely a a nostalgia thing from from the old, you know, early 2000s and, and 90s back. It's nice to see that kind of traditional thing that you probably see more in in the English leagues one and two as opposed to you know championship and premiership where the traditional number nine is no more. Um, so yeah, it's nice to watch it almost for a little bit of nostalgia and you know fair play to the guy he's he's, he's playing well. Check out under the floodlights where guests come on to talk about their favourite players or managers. We have episodes looking back in history and shows also focusing on those playing the game right now. It could be your choice of player that goes under the floodlights. Keeping in theme of St. Pauli kind of lead things on to our next subject and it's talking about British players abroad. Um, and I've, I think, you know, as we're talking about St. Paulo, we might as well start with James Lawrence and, you know, being a Welshman that's playing over in Germany and the Bundesliga. Um, and then we can sort of talk about James Lawrence and then we can sort of lead in on into other players as well. But I mean, how, how would you assess James Lawrence's time as a St. Pauli defender? Good, good. Um, he's he's one of my favourite players. And I don't know if it's because he's Welsh. I'm not Welsh, you know. I'm, I'm, it's not like a, a, a nationalist thing or, well, you know, that kind of a pride thing or anything like that. But I just, I love watching him play. Um, I think he's got the skills that are really suited to playing in, in the St. Pauli team. Some players, you know, they go, well, not even necessarily abroad, they'll go to other teams and doesn't fit, but he just seems to seamlessly fit in there. And he's also very strongly um, embodied the the mentality of the club. And that's something that really hits home with us. That, um, you know, it's like, yeah, anti-fascist, anti, anti-discrimination, you know, what's not to love about the club? And that was pretty much the first thing he said before he walked through the doors. And it was just like, yeah, you've just enamored yourself to to all the fans and stuff. And yeah, he's he is quite well liked as a uh, as a St. Pauli player. So yeah, it does go to show that while they're not always a success, British players can play abroad regardless of the league. 
Mm, yeah, no, it's good to see that. Um, it's quite an interesting one to talk about because it's it's a weird one with British players abroad because it's not um, there's not major sort of sample sizes to pick from. There isn't um, a lot of it happening nowadays. It's happening a bit more. I think the 90s was the sort of purple patch of when it happened quite a lot because it sort of reminds me of the days of Paul Gascoigne, sort of Paul Ince and David Platt then going off to to Italy and um yeah, I mean, you know, I even remember Kevin Keegan back in the day. Well, I say remember, I wasn't even born at that point, but I've, I've known of Kevin Keegan. I think he was perhaps one of the, you know, the first ones sort of going over to Hamburg and having a real good um, success of when that happened. So it's um, it's weird how sort of after the 90s, it just sort of, you didn't see it so much or, you know, not so many prominent English or British footballers were were sort of trying to go abroad and make a name of themselves. But it's perhaps after the, the Jaden Sancho, I think he's had such a great success of it at Dortmund. I think after him, now we're starting to see the likes of um, Tamori from Chelsea. He's now gone to AC Milan. Reese Nelson, Kieran Trippier, um, Jude Bellingham obviously went over to Dortmund as well. There's there's a lot of names now, a lot of people that are sort of following Sancho's footsteps, if you will, just seeing that that was a great example that you can do it abroad, that British players can do it abroad. Um, yeah, and it, it's, it's good to see that. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's one thing that I, I've thought of. I mean, as you say, the 2000s was really a dry patch for for good players going abroad. I mean, you have got the examples like Michael Owen and McManaman and oh, Jonathan Woodgate as well, you know, all going and playing for, for Real Madrid. Um, but there wasn't many names from the sort of 2000s period that I can think of that went and played abroad, unless it was to, at that time, you know, retirement leagues, places like the States and and... and China and, and uh, Japan, that was the other big one, I think, as well, and Australia. They were always considered, you know, the final payoff before the, before the, uh, their end of their careers. Whereas nowadays, obviously, the, the players are going abroad um, in, in their prime, and not necessarily even in their prime, but in their potential years. You know, Jaden Sancho is, um, is, is a prime example. Jude Bellingham, obviously, when I got into the 17. Um, and there's a couple of other players as well. Uh, Reese Oxford, who, who's still playing in the Bundesliga. Um, you know, they're, they're players who are up and coming players and are willing to actually try their luck at, at these. I, say, I, I think the most closely linked styles of football uh, are Germany and, and, and the Premier League. I think they're very, very similar. So a lot of the players are kind of making that transition. They've seen the success of Jaden Sancho in the Bundesliga and they've probably it's probably opened their eyes more to this whole world of football that we we've got. Um you know the Premier League is one of if not the strongest leagues in the world, don't get me wrong. And they all want to be playing here. But if they've got the potential to go to to your your, your Dortmunds or um you know your other big clubs like that and potentially play European football without having to try and work their way through your Man Cities who are just who who just buy the best players rather than rearing them, you know, Phil Foden aside. Um you know, I think it's it kind of has and as you said Tamori as well at um AC Milan. Yeah. Um 
you know, it's it's another player who's who's realizing his potential and going abroad. And there was obviously interest in is it Hudson Odoi uh, from Chelsea and oh Tammy Abraham that's now signed for Roma and stuff. He's oh yeah. To, uh, Mourinho, I think, manages Roma now, doesn't he? Um, you know, he's got he's got enjoyed got Chris Smalling there as well, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say he's reaching his potential now, but you know, he's he's on the latter part of his career. But um, I, Italy is a, a lot more slower and composed game, so probably suits someone like him. He's he's a good footballer. Don't get me wrong, you know, good with his feet and stuff. Um, but, you know, those players, the younger players, the younger generations are, are going abroad and trying their hand. And, and it is kind of that throwback to the 90s with you know, your Paul Inces and Gaza and, and players like that, when they all made the transition to, at the time, the best league in the world in Italy. So, yeah, it's good to see. And it's good to see, mentioned as well, Kieran Trippier, um, you know, trying his hand at a club that isn't Barcelona or Real Madrid over in Spain. It's... It's nice to see him going and join Simeone and and actually from what I know playing playing all right over there. So for Trippier, it was a jump that kind of paid off because he's obviously won the La Liga last season, and I think he always sort of mentioned that playing with Simeone was something that attracted him a lot because you know there's no better manager to learn from, especially the defensive side of the game than than Simeone. So. Um, and and perhaps for, for England's benefit as well, because you know um, I think perhaps not um, the sort of key right back that that England have at the moment, because we've got about four or five to pick from. So he's not he's going to be difficult sort of cementing his name as that that one um, regular starter for England in that right back position. But he's I think we've definitely benefited benefited from the fact that he's learn a different side of football under the likes of Simeone at a different country. So I think, um, yeah, I think that's that's good. Yeah, I, I agree. And I do, touching on, on the whole England point there as well, I feel it's something that's always kind of held back the England team. People always complain about, you know, oh, never win a major tournament and stuff like that. But when you look at, the, the 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 major teams are, I'll just start with the Euros when you're looking at your, your teams like Germany and Italy and Spain they've got players that are playing all over Europe and you look at the wider uh, world and you look at your Brazils and Argentinas and so many of those players are actually playing football elsewhere whether it be in, in Northern America or whether it be in Europe and obviously now the China market and stuff which uh, isn't as hot as it was before, but you know they're, they're taking in so much culture and different styles, and really opening their eyes to to so much more. Whereas we always seem to have seen that the best of the British players always stay within the Premier League. Is that because you know they they deem it the best league in the world, or is it just? a real lack of success from previous ones that make them scared of actually going out and sampling stuff. As you said, Jaden Sancho, Jaden Sancho, sorry, going abroad and, and being a real success in, in another one of the best leagues in the world. It's kind of given those younger players that real, well, if he can do it, why can't we? And it, it's great to see. It is really, really great to see. And as you say, you know, with, 
Trippier and I know he's playing for Man United now, but you know, Sancho when he was playing for Dortmund and stuff, it really benefits the England team as a whole. And I think it does show. I think it's just it would be good to see more of, of the best of the 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 England team going out there and you know, I, I feel sorry for for the smaller nations of Britain, things like your Wales and stuff, they don't necessarily have the best players. Um, obviously, you, you always get that that exception. So you've obviously got Gareth Bale, who um, is, was, I don't actually know what's happened to him, was it obviously at Real Madrid, um, which hasn't been the best spell for him. But, you know, that he's the anomaly in their standard of players. And, and you know, with the best will in the world to them, they don't have those standout, fantastic players. You know, the best Irish players that are, or Northern Irish players and Scottish players are playing in the upper leagues in in England, in, in the Premier League, in the Championship. I don't know, maybe if they actually sampled some of the the lower teams, like Reese Oxford playing for Augsburg, he's not going to be playing Champions League football at Augsburg. Um, but maybe that would help some of the, you know, the Welsh national team, James Lawrence playing for Wales. You know, hopefully that experience that he's taking from my Bundesliga to the national team is really sort of helping them as well. So it is, it's a very odd one. Um, and one I've always thought was rather strange. Um, but hopefully, yeah, we'll continue to see more, more British footballers now making that transition into the, the, the top leagues across Europe. Yeah, no, it's a good point that you make about, um, you know, like the likes of Reese Oxford and James Lawrence, you know, these, these sort of players that, like you say, if they perhaps wanted to, they could sort of get their agents to really fire for a, for a club of the likes of sort of Dortmund, where they would more or less sit on the bench, but they, they, they could be that opportunity for them to try a sort of a, a more popular name abroad for them to go for. But like you say, it seems like they've taken more of a sort of uh, realistic approach to things and thought, look, I'm, you know, th this is the club that's going to be better for me. And it's more or less a, a club that's almost on the same level of where they came from with um, with the likes of sort of West Ham. They, I would say a bit higher than sort of Augsburg, but when Reece Oxford, he went to Much and Gladbach, I'd say those sort of clubs were on the same sort of par. Um, I'm not too sure. Where, which club did James Lawrence come from? Oh, now you're asking. Um, why do I have a feeling it was a championship club? It was. No, it wasn't actually. I've just remembered it was Anderlecht. Oh, right. Okay. So he's actually had a taste of being over at a, a different country as well. Yeah, he, he's been around a bit. So, I mean, looking at where he started his youth years, it was, he was originally at Arsenal till 2003 and then from... 2005 to 2006, he was picked up by QPR. And after that, it kind of all went a little bit... Well, no, actually, HFC Harlem. Um, I'm, I Dutch. I'm yeah, Dutch it's a team. Dutch club, yeah. And then he continued his youth career. He spent a lot of time travelling around in his youth. He was then at Ajax, Sparta hmm. Rotterdam, and RKC... I'm going to pronounce this wrong. It's... <laughs> Barvik, Barvik, um, 
And then he signed a contract to AS Trenchian uh, before moving on to, to Anderlecht. So, you know, he's got the, the pedigree there as well, playing for Anderlecht in, in Belgium. So, yeah, he kind of been, in a, I wouldn't say a nomad because he's not played for that many uh, clubs abroad. But, you know, he's he's got that experience of actually playing out there. Oh, that's another player as well that I've just remembered also playing for Anderlecht, obviously, when I think it's Vincent Company who managed them now. Um, West Ham player who never really got a chance in the first team, Josh Cullen. Um, I think he was 24 and still going out alone every season and never really getting the chance at West Ham. He signed for Anderlecht and they're now saying, you know, it's some of the best money they've ever spent. It was like half a million quid. He's been absolutely fantastic for him. And it, again, it really appears to be benefiting the Irish national team as well, having a player that's out there playing international football, uh, playing abroad and now going back and playing the international football. So, yeah, you know, there's, there's a few out there. You've just got to kind of scratch the surface past the big name clubs and you'll find these real gems that are playing abroad. It surprised me when I did a bit of research on this, how many players are British nationals that are actually playing abroad that you just never hear of. So, yeah, it, it's nice to see. It was a good sort of thing you brought up how, you know, the likes of um, sort of Reese Oxford and, and that guy that you mentioned there, Cullen, where they, you know, it's not sort of picking that sort of big household name that they're sort of, you know, trying to make their name at a smaller club and perhaps use that as a bit of a stepping stone to sort of further their career. But it's also good to hear about Lawrence um, and to discover that together. We both sort of realised that together and we noticed that, you know, he, he's got a, kind of made a name of himself um, across quite a few different European clubs. And perhaps, you know, FC St. Pauli saw that and saw that, you know, we're not going to be taking a gamble on, a, you know, a, a, a young British guy or a British guy that is, hasn't really sort of stepped out of his comfort zone. We're, we're taking a gamble. We're, we're not even taking a gamble. We're taking somebody that's comfortable, you know, playing within different European settings. So that, you know, that sort of, puts these players in good steads as well, which is good to see. Yeah, I, I think, you know, looking at Lawrence's sort of youth career as well, looking at the... He did bounce around a bit for his, in his younger years, from what I can see, but, you know, it's actually nice to see these young players. For whatever reason, you know, he didn't obviously make the grade at, um, at Arsenal or at QPR as well. So, you know, he's gone abroad and he's managed to pick up... He spent two years in the Ajax Academy by the looks of it, which goes to show that the fact that he is he's he's a good player. You know, Ajax have got such a good youth system. It's how they maintain their club, I think. But um, you know, he's there was obviously the the potential for a good player there, but he's gone out and he's sampled, you know, Dutch football, he's gone out and he's sampled uh, Belgium, and now he's in Germany, and it, it's good to see that he's not. Like um, Sancho, you know, he came over to, to Dortmund, um, made a real success for it, and he's gone back to the Premier League. You know, and that's that's the thing. It's 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 nice to see these these other players that are, are British and they're not just going, oh, we could go back and sign for a championship club. They're still, you know, out there living that European dream, as it were. Mm, no, definitely, because it'll be interesting to see what Jude Bellingham does after this. I'm, I'm with you. I hope, and I don't think it's 
well, I, I, I really hope that it's not going to be a disappointment where Duke Bellingham then decides to to come back to the Premier League. He, he could, you know, sort of make a real sort of big name of himself at Dortmund or perhaps even think oh, I could go to Spain or I could go to Italy or I could go to another European powerhouse and um, really sort of stake his claim. And I really hope he doesn't just go back to the Premier League and you know, that'll be the end of his adventure. I really, you know, it will be good to see if players like Bellingham then use the, the, the sort of opportunity of playing out in Europe to, you know, really sort of further his career. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it would be really disappointing to almost pick up his education in, in Germany um, and Abraham to continue his education in Italy and Tomori in Italy. And then, you know, the money of the Premier League kind of talks to them. It would be nice for them to kind of go, no, do you know what? I've done I've done Italy now. So let's go to Spain. Let's go to Germany. Um and and continue that European tour. And you know, hopefully, you know, with with those kind of players, really sort of bring it back to to the England national team and you know, give the the England fans something that they've been craving for a while and that's more success because they're bringing more variety and I don't necessarily want to use the term culture but like the, the footballing culture of other countries and bring it into to the, the the national team that's been stuck for so long in the just in the Premier League so yeah mm. yeah it'd be nice to see those players continue I can see you know, Abraham will get the, the the shining lights of the Premier. It'll go be a success in Italy, um, and all of a sudden, you know, you'll have. I think Chelsea will probably got buy back. I think, um, but then, you know, if not, then your Man Cities and all that sort of stuff. The other top Premier League clubs start sniffing around him, and he he comes trudging back. It'd be a real shame. I'd love to see him just carry on out there. I really, really would. So fingers crossed. You know, same with you, Bellingham as well. No disrespect to Dortmund, but we all know that Bayern, with their pulling power and their, um, I don't know, they always seem to manage to pick up Dortmund's best players, be Lewandowski's and players like that. They seem to be able, uh, Max Hummel, um, players like that seem to make that transition from Dortmund, which seems to be the second biggest club in 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 the Bundesliga to buy it, you know, and there's the opportunity for Bellingham, I think, with his quality, and he is a quality player, um, for him to also make that uh, cross-club switch, shall we say. So, yeah, yeah, fingers crossed they, they continue this journey out there. Speaking of the England team, I think there's a player that benefited. It might have just been a sort of brief season uh, long loan, but Mason Mount, he actually spent a year at Vitesse Arnhem um, just for a year. And, you know, I think that really helped him to sort of become the player that he is now. And I think, you know, he had that time at at Derby, obviously under Frank as well. um, And that really helped him make his name at Chelsea. But, 
you know, I, I do think mentally, whereas, you know, players like Mason Mount, they don't really need to worry too much about the talent side of things because they're always going to have that incredible talent. But when it comes to the sort of discipline and it comes to learning new cultures, like you mentioned before, and just sort of picking up these things that are more to do with the head side of the game, that's where um, that's where I think, you know, experience like that are just absolutely vital. And I, I sincerely believe that, you know, someone like Mason Mount learned a hell of a lot being at Vitesse Arnhem, um, just as much as he probably did at being at Chelsea and um, and Derby County. Yeah, I completely agree. And I don't know, maybe cast your mind back. This we obviously touched on the fact that a lot of um, sort of the two thousands period wasn't necessarily big for British players playing abroad. But one thing I do remember. It's a long while ago, so I don't remember it right. But there used to be a lot of sort of uh, links between lower Dutch league teams and Premier League teams, and they quite often players would go over to to these teams. I think Belgium had some as well. There was links with some of the clubs in Belgium, um, and you know the big clubs like Man United had almost not. It's not a feeder club, but they'd have that agreement where they'd send their best players out to on loan to these. You don't see that anymore. You don't necessarily hear from it. Uh, hear about it, sorry. And, you know, it's something that could really benefit, especially players as big as, as Mason Mount, who's now been an absolute fantastic successor at both Chelsea and, and international level for the England team. Maybe it's something that clubs should actually realise um, that a season, two seasons abroad with their, I'll use the term feeder club, it's not, but, um, you know, with the, the club that they've got links with abroad. Um I do genuinely believe, and I, not just from a footballing perspective, but from a people's perspective, that experiencing other cultures is is something that can really enrich a person's personality and life. So it can only do good for the footballer with with that similar sort of thing, both the you know the standard culture and the footballing culture coming together. So yeah, I think it's something that can really benefit everyone. Um, but yeah. It's something that you don't tend to hear of anymore. It's maybe something clubs should look at bringing back potentially. Mm. Let's just hope that Brexit isn't going to have, sorry to bring up the B word, because I'm sure it's a thorn in your side. But yes, I think, well, I'm worried that Brexit is going to have a sort of effect on this side of things where it's going to be more difficult. There's probably going to be more red tape where these you know players want to go out and, and play in Europe. And I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping it's not going to be that difficult for them. But then again, you know, as I'm saying, I have just realised and we have talked about a lot of players that have you know, managed to go out um, during this season. Uh, I think Tamori made his you know, um, loan move from AC to Milan permanent during um, a time of, of Brexit being rife. So, you know, it does happen and it, and it can happen. So maybe it's uh, more of a fear-mongering thing that we seem to see going around a lot these days. So, yeah, perhaps it's just more of that. Yeah, possibly. I think I think the difference is with, with a lot of clubs and the, the, the sort of level of players that they'll be looking at, I think it might be more difficult for say, you know, championships level players going out and playing in like Spy Bundesliga and stuff. Obviously, Lawrence was already abroad before it all happened. And, you know, for the smaller clubs who don't have the money, whereas there's probably these large your Juventuses, your, your Real Madrid's, your, your Bayern's, they've probably got people who just deal with all the red tape stuff. Um, and, you know, they'll just sort all that out. And 
Um, you know, obviously Roma, Tammy Abraham went over there. So it's definitely possible, um, but it might sort of hinder maybe the youth players possibly won't be able to go out so much. Um, the lower level players maybe won't be able to go out so much. Um, you know, the, 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 the people from the Republic of Ireland have obviously got, they're probably sat there laughing because, you know, the Irish players can still go all out there. That's not a problem. Um, yeah, touch wood, it doesn't kind of come a cropper for a lot of these players because it's something, as I say, it's something that enriches all of us. Um, so I'd like to see it continue um, now that it's actually started to happen. Yeah, definitely. Most successful British player abroad is a is sort of a name that sort of springs to mind. Um, I mean, there's been some big names go out. Um, obviously, I say in recent times with Gareth Bale, and um, you go back a little bit with McManaman and Owen, and I don't necessarily think any of those had real, real success. I think you would probably have to go back even even further and. Players like Gaza and, and probably Platt, to be honest with you. You know, this we've never really had a massive success. Actually, no, do you know what? Probably Jaden Sancho, which is quite bad because I'm looking at someone who's <laughs> literally played there till the start of this season. So, you know, he's but he was fantastic. Um, I mean, you had Lineker at Barcelona and Grandpa's Um, you know, and, and yeah, I'm struggling to really think of, of any British players who've been a massive, massive success at, abroad. I sort of compiled a list and there was a few names that sort of sprung to mind. It's it's not really a, a debate per se, because there, there is one player that undoubtedly is the most successful and it's, you have to go back really far. I think it was even in the 60s. Um, John Charles, who played for Juventus, um, he won three Serie A titles and two domestic cups. And he was a really interesting player because he, he was... It was almost like Dion Dublin in the sense where he was a really good centre-back and a fantastic centre-forward. Um, and he scored a, a shit ton of goals for Juventus. Um, but he was a player that um, I was talking with a, a friend not that long ago. Um, he was on for an Under the Floodlight special and we were talking about Jimmy Greaves. And Jimmy Greaves actually tried to play um, for AC Milan. He signed for AC Milan. He was there for about six months. But because Jimmy Greaves like a, liked a a cigarette and a pint it didn't get on too well so he wasn't um it wasn't sort of adored by the AC Milan fans that much and um he didn't it wasn't much of a success but with John Charles I think sort of Jimmy Greaves saw the success that John Charles had at Juventus and thought you know if this you know quiet lad from Wales um went there and and did the, the you know the great things that he did then you know why can't I do it but um, unfortunately, it wasn't the case. Like I said, I think the the fags and the the booze were uh, <laughs> just obviously not not such a great idea. Yeah, and that was the thing. One player I think we we failed to mention actually in in relatively recent times who seems to have been successful wherever he's played uh, played is David Beckham. Actually, mm. he's one player that I I've, I've got a list here as well. Of, of it's actually a, a quiz, um, and yeah, he's he's the top most known player, but obviously he played for Real Madrid, AC Milan, PSG, before going over to America and stuff and, and living the high life out there. But he, he was probably, yeah, actually, he was probably the most successful player of recent times, definitely, definitely. Mm. But I mean, looking through this list that I've got here, you, 
you know, there's a lot of them who only ever play for, for, for one club abroad. Um, there's a few exceptions, like surprisingly Joe Cole, but that was a couple of loan moves. And um, Gaza played for two. Even the, the, the big players, as you say, like Kevin Keegan, who, who had a real success at Hamburg. But, um, you know, David Platt played for Barry, Juventus and Sampdoria. So he obviously did something right. You know, and yeah, there's a lot of one club wonders. Um, but yeah, I, it is difficult to think of who's been the most successful. I would, yeah, I'd probably have to say, looking at this very short list I've got, um, it would probably be for me, uh, David Beckham, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was funny because when I wrote my list, I just sort of did it off the top of my head and I only put LA Galaxy, AC Milan and PSG. I completely forgot, obviously, Real Madrid and um, perhaps yeah. being his most successful stint abroad. So, yeah, it was weird. I don't know why I um, completely forgot about that one, but I did. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah, you, you definitely have to put him up there for being very successful. Uh, it's interesting as well, his time at PSG. You could perhaps make an argument for that being the the sort of catalyst and the the spark for, for PSG's kind of... Um, foray into stardom if you will because I, I think it was perhaps a little bit before the oil money came in shall we say but the the yeah. sort of I think he, that was on that kind of turning point you're right I think it was I think it was when the money had started to come in but before they'd really kind of bought the success because he only actually went out there for six months and do you know what obviously his wage packet was insane Absolutely insane. I think if I remember rightly, wasn't it about half a million dollars a week he was earning at Galaxy? And yeah. it was just after he finished at LA Galaxy and he went and played, what was it, the final six months, I think, of the season at PSG. But one thing I will say to him, hats off, that if I remember rightly, every penny that he earned whilst playing for PSG for those six months was actually donated to charity. So, you know what, I mean, he didn't need to make any more money. You know, the guy's... Yeah, yeah. Fair to a fantastic footballer, and he really made the most of it with his trips to Real Madrid and obviously his paydays in, in Galaxy. So, yeah, fair play to him. But I think he was kind of, yeah, I think you're right in saying not necessarily the catalyst, but he was the real sort of start of the, of the money, like Rubinho was when Man City was taken over. He was that kind of star player that. I wouldn't exactly say he really took off in, in City Colours, but, you know, he he was the first big money signing. And I think Beckham was definitely there or there about PSG. Mm. Yeah, perhaps not a catalyst, like, like I said, but more of a, a glimpse of what was to come. Like finding out as much as you can about clubs you've heard of and those you haven't? Then come check out The Magic Of, where we delve as deep as possible into the rich history of weird and wacky clubs, all over the world. I to go a bit off topic, but you know, it's it's almost funny to see the likes of uh, Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe. And almost, I think, it racked up. I think all of their sort of transfer fees almost half a half a billion or something ridiculous like that. And um, they they only ended up uh, mustering a one all draw against uh, Bruges yesterday. So it goes to show all the money in the world doesn't buy success. So it's um, yeah, it's interesting to see. But then again, we've we've got a long way to go until the end of uh, the Champions League or the or league. And so yeah, the other thing I've always said is football's a team sport. 
at the end of the day, you can have all the best players in the world, but if they don't play well together, then yeah, yeah, it's not necessarily the best thing. But yeah, I mean, what just transfer fees alone, Neymar was what two hundred million, and Mbappe was like one hundred thirty million. That's before signing on fees and, and agent fees, and obviously Messi, while a free transfer, isn't a free transfer. There'll be so much money that they've spent out on him, but you know, for me, that was definitely a a marketing kind of uh, a marketing signing. Don't get me wrong, world class player, um, uh, one of the, the the best in the in the world ever. So yeah, he's still got the talent and the skills to to play at the highest level. So, but it was definitely a a, a marquee signing, shall we say? Mm. So going back to um, Galacticos, or sort of keeping on that sort of you know high profile kind of player um and we sort of mentioned him before with, with gareth bale i mean um it's not just sort of pick at your words but it's almost sort of pick at the the sort of sense of how gareth bale's career at real madrid has gone because the, a lot of people and a lot in the media would suggest that gareth bale's time has kind of been a failure but if you look at it i mean he's, he's helped to win and he was a big part of one of their champions league success but i think he's got about three Champions League um, medals to his name. I'm just going to look up now how many um, honours he actually picked up at Real Madrid. But it's, you know, it's weird to say uh, and weird to see, sorry, that, you know, um, how his career at Real Madrid is considered to be a bit of a failure, a bit of a flop. But in all fairness, he's, um, you know, it, it, the, the amount of things that he's won for Real Madrid haven't been that bad. So, yeah, he's won two La Ligas. Uh, three Champions League medals, the Copa del Rey, um, another Spanish domestic cup, UEFA Super Cup, uh, and the FIFA Club World Cup. I mean, that doesn't really count so much. He's won that three times, <laughs> if it does count for, for people out there. But, you know, those the, you know, Champions League wins and the legal wins are, are absolutely massive. And it's, you know, it's odd to see. And, you know, it seems to be such a sort of common debate how people say that Gareth Bale... And you'd probably hear a lot of Real Madrid fans say they, they never really liked Gareth Bale and they don't think his career was that great. But, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. It's it's a pretty decent uh, haul of, of trophies, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, yeah, as you said, he had a real big um, part in one of their Champions League wins. Didn't he come on as a substitute? And, like, were they losing like two one or one nil? I think that was against Liverpool, wasn't it? Can't remember, but yeah, I mean that's the thing. He's his career has been absolutely astronomical. I mean, the scary thing is, I mean, if you look at a lot of his time with Real Madrid, he was brought on a lot from from the bench and stuff as well, and probably never made as many appearances. And then he obviously had that weird stint at Tottenham. Mind um, you, in saying that, looking at the so according to Wikipedia, his time at Tottenham, he scored 11 goals in 20 games. So the guy's got talent. I don't remember him scoring that many, to be fair. And it is Wikipedia. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, if you look at some of his, I'm literally looking at stats now. So he joined, obviously, in the 2013-2014 season. Scored it just in La Liga, 15 goals in 27 games. You know, you can't really knock his success. The following season, 13 and 31, 19 and 23, 7 and 19. So he's, 
you wouldn't exactly call that flop, not with those statistics. I think part of the problem is that I think they were expecting the next Ronaldo, um, you know, or someone as good as Ronaldo when he signed for him and stuff. Because wasn't he the most expensive player in the world at one point? Yeah, um, yeah, he was. And I think that kind of is probably what built such an expectation that his time is considered a flop. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't exactly call his statistics. The problem as well is he, he's quite injury prone. And I think that's why a lot of people don't necessarily deem his time a success. I mean, looking back at the 2016-2017 season, Scored seven goals, but he only made 19 appearances in La Liga. So there was obviously an injury or something there. 26, 23. The appearances aren't, aren't that massive. So when he plays, he scores. Um, you know, it's what average of better than one in two most seasons. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can't deny that. And I think most clubs would kill for a, a striker who will score one in two games. Hmm. And he's not even an out striker. That's the no. other side of it as well. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't profess to follow him the league or so closely that, you know, I'll monitor his, his, his performances and stuff like that. He could look really bone over on the pitch, but yeah, knows where the back of the net is. He might not be the best team player, but, you know, when you look at it statistically, and maybe people will in in the future, kind of look back at his, his career and go, do you know what, actually? Wasn't that bad? Mm. We don't know. We don't know. But yeah, I would, I'd be hasty to agree. And with that role of honours, you know, people can mock him all he likes. And he's just like, well, look, my trophy cabinet, where's yours? <laughs> That's, I think, a very key thing there. And I think something that a lot of people gloss over. Mm. Yeah, because I, I think the, you know, the trophy cabinet, like you say, it can't be argued with. And I think perhaps it's more of a, a PR kind of um, side of things that that didn't work for him. And I think the fact that, you know, although there, there are sort of rumours and there are stories and the, the, there's probably a lot of proof that his Spanish is really good. But, you know, the fact that he didn't come out and do a lot of sort of press conferences or interviews in Spanish, I think, you know, that didn't really sort of endear him towards the Real Madrid fans and so on. And I think um, not that it should necessarily, because not a lot of players do that, even over in the Premier League, not every sort of player does. And, the, the, you know, I think Aguero didn't really learn that much English whilst he was over here at, at Man City. But, you know, you sort of sort of add that onto the fact with, with his sort of golfing escapades and, you know, that sort of incident that happened with Wales with that sort of, um, what was it, Wales first, goal, or golf first, Wales second, and then um, Real Madrid third or, or something like that. It was a, a weird sort of, yeah, flag that he had. And, yeah, and I think the, the Real Madrid fans went nuts for it. So, um, yeah, it's... it's um, I think perhaps that's probably what caused him to to be seen in a different sort of light. And I think that's why he's not considered a sort of Real Madrid legend like the likes of Zidane and players like that. And I think, you know, it's a shame. It is a shame that, you know, that, that it's gone down that way, considering what he's achieved for Real Madrid and, you know, what he's done as a servant of Real Madrid is is absolutely fantastic. And in my opinion, he should go down as a legend. But yeah, perhaps just that sort of 
public relations side of things that's just caused it to to be a bit more sour than it needs to be. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. He's he's probably not helped himself. Um, and, you know, that they pay all this money. And as, as I said before, he's got quite a few injuries. And um, so, yeah, he obviously hasn't enabled himself. And I think when you talk about legends when it comes to Real Madrid, I think they've had so many legendary players. Where do you rank him with your, you know, your Zidane's Figos, your Ronaldo's, um, Raul Moriente? You know, the list goes on of these, um, uh, Roberto Carlos, the fantastic players that that just roll off the tongue. They're household names. Um, as I say, I'm not a massive La Liga fan. I don't follow it so closely, yet they're just players that have literally just come to my head. Um, Michel Salgado, um, you know, I can just go on and on. Um, David Beckham. <laughs> yeah, David Beckham. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's that's the thing. So when you're looking at the, the, the legendary status of some of the names that have played for Real Madrid, Luka Modric, um, you know, you can just go on and on and on. And I think that's the, that's the hardest bit. He's been a fantastic servant for Real Madrid and he's done the job. Has he justified the giant transfer fee? Has he justified his wages? Do you know what? As I say, people make that judgment call in 10, 20 years when they look back on on, a, on what a fantastic player he was. Um, and I think that's the thing. At the moment, while he's still playing, he probably will have a... People will have a different perspective of him now to what they'll probably have in 10 years' time when he's not playing. And I think that's that's where we should be watching. Yeah. No, definitely. But yeah, it was um, it was really good to sort of go through um, British players abroad and just find out and sort of explore perhaps why, you know, it, it, it's taken a while to happen. But, you know, it's good to see that it is happening now. And it's, um, yeah, it's really interesting. It's nice, like you say, you sort of, you think of these names that you haven't really necessarily thought of before. And yeah, I found, I found it really interesting. I really enjoyed doing this, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's an eye opener. I think, and when you actually do look at the list of players, as I say, I, I this quiz it just goes to show the time periods where there was obviously a real purple patch, as you said, with you know Gaza, David Platt, and Paulins all going abroad and playing Italy at this time. Then this real random dry spell in the middle, and now now the more modern footballers going over and playing abroad. It's, it's really interesting, and yeah, it's a good read. It's definitely worth people sort of looking into more who have a real passion for football. It's definitely something that would be a real eye-opener. And yeah, I think it's also quite interesting just to look beyond the top leagues. And yeah, there's some really, really interesting, interesting players playing in some really interesting leagues. Um, places like uh, Hong Kong, there's, there's England players out in Hong Kong. And uh, where was it Jermaine Pennant played as well? Wasn't that like Vietnam or... Um, I've got it here. Pune City, where oh, it's um, yeah. Is it Singapore? No, no, it's India. Pune. That's what I thought, but yeah, um, you know, it's it's a real eye opener to sort of see these these players that are playing in some really really fast stretched leagues and stuff. It's it's really good, um, and yeah, a real eye opener for everyone. So people need to look into it and check it out. 
Definitely, mate, definitely. And I'm hoping that, you know, like we sort of mentioned and like you mentioned before, that this is going to sort of open the door for, for a lot more British players to do that and to go abroad and to, you know, to not just feel inclined that they have to do it, you know, within their own shores and hopefully, you know, take that step and, and make that adventure happen for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Everyone needs to expand their horizons and it's the same for footballers, you know, soaking the culture that, that people uh, enjoy. And yeah, footballing culture is a fantastic thing. It, it really, really is. Um, and it, they need to go out and experience it. And, you know, more people need to go out and watch it as well. They need to expand their minds and realise that there's more football than just outside the Premier League. Sorry, there's more football outside than just the Premier League. Hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. As an Englishman myself living over in the Netherlands, it's um, it's something that, yeah, I definitely recommend uh, footballers, if any footballers are listening to this, I'm not sure they are, but, you know, if they do, then, yeah, I would suggest making that step and, and trying it because, you know, you, you don't just learn about football, you learn about so much more and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really worth it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know what, if, as much as I hate to say it, um, Quick touch on point. West Ham would just beat uh, Dynamo Zagreb 2-0 in their first 4-8 nice. back to, uh, into European football. And the guy who I was just going to mention, Declan Rice, also scored as well. But you know what? I would love to see someone like Declan Rice go over to to play for Bayern. Um, I think, or, or even in Italy as well, he could be a real success at somewhere like Juventus as well. I mean, the guy's a, a phenomenal player. I think, you know, if he went and played for out in Italy for, for a while for one of the big, big clubs, your Juve's, your Inters and stuff, you know, you could see him being ranked on all the sort of, I, I genuinely will stand by this comment in years to come, but he could be like the next peer, like, you know, just sit at the back. People say he always passes sideways and back, but those people have never watched him play, pinging balls left, right, centre to either wing. He could do that, and I think in a country like Italy or, or Germany, It'd be a real, real success. So I'd love to see Declan Rice go abroad. Yeah, let's let's hope that happens. I I totally agree with you. I think, you know, if he was to to go to Chelsea, because I think Chelsea is the the club that he's sort of linked to the most, and it's unfortunately that it seems to be the the move that would perhaps happen or perhaps be the most likely. But you know, like you say, I'd I'd love to see him go to you know Spain or Italy or or somewhere like that because. You know, he, he's, he's, he's worth it as well. He's definitely, you know, he's definitely um, warranted a, a massive club like that. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine how much that would benefit the England team? Again, we're going back to this this sort of circle of benefit the England team. But Bryce playing in Italy, how much would that benefit him? The England team with that, that style of football, just adapting and... and, and evolving on the style that he already plays that would be absolutely fantastic and a real real huge benefit to, to England mm. no definitely mate definitely but um, I, what, just before we go I do want to mention that you know um, I play for my sort of local club over here in um, in Nuvolder in uh, in Holland and I scored on my debut so perhaps I should have uh, should have added myself to the list on here <laughs> Sorry to make a sort of shame, shameful, big-headed plug there, but I couldn't help myself. 
top draw, mate. Well done. <laughs> Yeah, it'll probably be the only goal I've scored, to be honest, ever. <laughs> it was a bit of a fluke, but, you know, I'm, I'm claiming it. <laughs> Any goal's a goal, mate, at the end of the day. It, you know, however we score, as long as it's back of the net, that's all that matters. Yeah, absolutely, mate. <laughs> Wicked, thanks again for coming on, Mike. Appreciate it, mate. No worries, mate. Anytime, you take it easy. You too, man. Thank you so much for listening to The Triple F. If you could please drop a like on our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, that would be massively appreciated. Hope you're all keeping safe and thanks again for listening to The Triple F. <laughs>